G'day, welcome to another edition of Power Hour with Sow Hour. This is where we catch up with some of the biggest names in rugby league. This week we catch up with dual premiership winner Chris Hyington. Now just be patient, Chris is on the road going between jobs uh, after footy, so make sure that you, you stay tuned. He drops in and out a little bit, but it was a great interview. Here's Chris Hyington. Well, Chris Hyington joins us on Power Hour with Sow Hour. Thanks for your time this afternoon, Hino. Anytime, shall we? Let's get let's get stuck into it uh, straight away, straight off the bat. Your stat sheet comes up. I get my stats sent to me by Malcolm Middleton. First thing I want to know: the hard hitting question: 05 Tigers or sixteen Sharks? What was the better team? Wow, well, straight into the. <laughs> um, well, um, oh, they were both brilliant. Obviously, 05 will come really quickly. Um, so I was only a year or two in the first grade and, you know, only played 25 games and there I am in a grand final. So, um, you know, I probably took me for granted. We had a pretty good squad, you know, five. So I thought I'd probably, you know, teach in more grand finals through my career. But it took me 11 years to do the next one of the Cronulla Sharks. And, you know, I, I, I've got to sit on the fence. I can't split them. They'll both brilliant. Um, you know, for different reasons where I just walked into a sort of first grade grand final. Then the other one had to work so hard and, keep developing my game to stay at the highest level and, you know, get another one at the Sharkies. And how did you develop that game? You made your debut in 2003. Uh, you had guys like Daniel Fitzhenry, John Scandalis, Anthony LaFranchi, Mark O'Neill, Ben Galea, all in that grand final team. How did you develop your game just to have such longevity to be able to go another 11 years and then win another comp? Yeah, it's... Um, I just like... Keep, like, keep bettering myself as a player. Um, you know, we had great players. Like you said, Marco, Neil, Ben Galeer, Scandalis. And we had, like, good young kids coming through as well. Uh, and I wasn't the biggest guy. Um, I'd play on the edge for a while, then I went to the middle. So I sort of developed skills as I was playing two different positions. You know, I even played front, I played a bit of hooker. And I thought it was important to learn the pass. Um, I remember the first start with Shinji. And he loved passing, he loved the attacking side of the game. So, um, before every training, so you had to do 100 passes each side. I remember the first turn up, I couldn't pass right to left. I was like Harbour Bridge, you know, couldn't spin it, <laughs> like spiral the ball. Um, so, just stuff like that, you just kept working in your game. Just probably working on the basics, you know. I, I've got like a training business now, and I train a few young footballers, and it's all about the basics, getting them right, and being able to do them under fatigue, you know, because um, your heart rate's through the roof playing NRL. You know, most of the time you're out there. So, yeah, it's about doing the basics, you know, with your heart rate up. And I just loved um, trying to better myself and better myself for the team and for myself, you know. Yeah, you spoke about Tim Sheens there. What was the weirdest drill he had you guys do? Because a lot of talk was around the attacking side of things and how he saw the game completely different. What was the drill where you looked around and thought, you're not sure if this is going to work? Probably a scrum play where um, <laughs> we pack it in and then the lock round through the middle of the scrum. But with Shinji, he was he was just all attack. He loved it. Richie Simmons, who was the defensive coach, because he got like 10, 15 minutes every session to work on defence. Um, he was just so driven by attack. And to his credit, it worked. You know, we, we sort of changed the way of playing. It was before the wrestle and the surrender tackle and the dominant tackle come in. So as forwards, we just ploughing down and playing the ball quick. So the Princes, the Brett Hodgson's and, you know, the Benji Marshalls could play off the front foot, like flat and fast footy. Um, I watched the game the other day, I think it was 2008, 
they, we moved the ball that much through the middle middle third of the field, you know. Um, there's a lot of passing. I'd love to know how many times the forward would pass in that era compared to now. Um, but, yeah, he was a success with attacking style footy. But we had a really good attacking team. And we sort of just held on in defence, to be honest. Um, Royce did a big, like a good job considering he didn't have much time to, <laughs> to put structures and plays together like other teams would, you know. So it was just all based around attack and, um, you know, we sort of held on. We didn't really rest on You know, 2005, there was, there was no, like I said before, there was no surrender or anything. So and I think it came in the following year, 2006. So, um, yeah, we, we used that to our advantage and sort of got down quick. And like I said earlier, just got the, the, Fast and then the ball, you know, to um, do their thing. You spoke about coming into first grade and walking into a grand final. I actually remember watching you in the semi final against the Dragons at the SFS. What was that game like going in heavy underdogs, but then beating one of, you know, I mean, one of St George's best ever teams with so many international players? Yeah, that was a um, the pressure was lifted, like it was taken off us going into the grand final because we beat the Cowboys. It was that old semi-final system where we beat the Cowboys in the first semi. I think it was fifty to four or something like that. Going in, we played half as good as we did that first semi that would get it done in the grand final. Yes, we beat the Cowboys first semi. Then we played Brisbane, who were a good team. Um, you know, they had stars across the park, and we ended up beating them at the SSS, and then. We, like you said, we, we got to the the Dragons. Yeah, I mean, they had a great team. They had, oh, they had good senior players. They had Trent Barrett, Lance Fox, like Liam Fultz, Bryce Gibbs. You know, it was just crazy. You know, teams. Um, but we, we, we started really fast. I think Benji scored a really good try off the scrum there. And then we just went from there. And I really liked it because there was one side were all Dragons fans and the other side of the field on the side of the stadium was Tigers fans, so I've never experienced it. Was, it was great atmosphere, and um, you know we just got it done on the night. We we played for one another, and on a night people say the Dragons choked, but I don't think they did. I thought they played a really good style of footy going into that final season and played well that night. But um, I think we would have, you know, uh, we were really good as a team. We knew each other's job and. We got it done on that night. Yeah, you spoke about the crowd, and, and I don't mean to bring it up because we got you in 2010, but running out and seeing half Tigers, half Dragons, it, it really is one of the undervalued rivalries, this West Tigers v Dragons rivalry, isn't it? Yeah, and he got 2000. That was a, a top-level game as well. That was flat out. You know, he had way better there. And he's a, and that was a different team than that 05 team, obviously. Uh, a lot of players that have moved on and you've um, you built your own legacy there and we couldn't get it that night. But, so that was a good game. It went down to the wire and you've obviously went on to win the grand final, which is awesome for you guys. And um, Yeah, it was crazy. Five years later, you could it's probably a completely different team for the Dragons. Well, we played each other two years in a row, and you got us the next year. I just—it was uncanny for me watching that semi-final in '05 and hearing about the pain of guys like Ben Hornby, Dean Young, all these young guys beating them in Highington and you know Gibbs and Galloway and all these guys, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're back five years later to get into a grand final. Fast forward to 2016, Hino, you're at the Sharks. It's a special group. You've got the right mix of youth and ex- experience in that team against the Melbourne Storm. What were you thinking on that last play? I was on, I was on the bench with Matt Pryor. And I, 
I, I lost a few beats there. I, I was um, <laughs> I thought they were getting it done to be honest. Um, they were good all night. They played really well. It was, a, it was a fast game. There wasn't many penalties, not many errors. Everyone was completing. The feeders' trial was a big moment. Huge. But, um, yeah, off the scrum, I think they had I don't know 50, 60 seconds, and they were right down, right down their own end, and they passed up the field quite easily. Then that last sort of play, they went all the way left. And all the way, I think all the way left, yeah. And then on the way back, one of the passes didn't hit out in front and went behind, I think, Cameron Smith a little bit. And it just steady. But if you watch the replay, you could see all the Canada Sharks were on the other side of the post. So there was no one folding back into where they were meant to be. You know, Birdie and Val were chasing down down that right side and they had to fill back down the left side. So it was a, it was a great effort. I got a lot of... Will Chambers went through and he had Cooper Cronk back through the middle, but he, he, I remember seeing a thing on, I don't know, it might have been a podcast or listened to it, where he couldn't hear from the crowd. He couldn't hear Cooper Cronk calling for the ball up the middle. It was that loud. So that was a good night, uh, 50 years. And, you know, I was obviously all, almost all Canola Sharks fans, and it was just, yeah, it was great. It was, it was it was really, it was a really good moment. Yeah, we talk about really that. Good to be a part of. You talk about that moment and, Everyone, I mean, when you're taught in defensive line is don't solve the problem yourself, stay in your line. But so many times you see at the end of games, I remember watching it, how frantic the defensive line was and everyone was trying to just scramble back across. And even Chad Townsend said there were blokes just tracking back just in case they needed to come up with the final play. And it's quite remarkable that I think if they have that play over again, Melbourne Storm, they probably nearly score maybe 50 or 60% of the time. But the scramble back from the Cronulla Sharks was absolutely outstanding. You win that dual premiership winner. But probably most importantly for the Cronulla Sharks club is you get that first premiership. Uh, what was the feeling like looking at guys like Paul Gallon ahead of his last game this week? Yeah, um, you know, he's obviously the hard soul. He's been there a long time now. Over 300 games at the one club, he's a hard soul with the team, and he's had some, you know, some tough times with the Sharks as well. He's obviously read an article today where he could have went for more money, but he's stuck there. Uh, yeah, that was a great moment. He doesn't show much emotion, yeah. After wins, losses, there's not much difference. But after that grand final, I've never seen anything like that. He was, he, it meant so much to him, and I'm just. I'm a, I feel privileged just to be able to do it, um, be a part of that team. You know, I thought he was just, yeah, it was just a good moment for him, and he, and he needed that. Um, now he's content. That's why I reckon, you know, he's retiring now. He's content. He's for the grand finals, and you know, he's played for Australia. He plays for Origin, but when you talk about the grand final to him, it, it means a lot more. Uh, he, it, it's all about winning grand finals to him, and um, he got one in that. That just topped off his career. What a player, what a man. And uh, you know, I'm going out of the game on the weekend. Uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, you spoke about he had the chance to go to Newcastle. I want to go through your career because 2012, you moved from the West Tigers. You wanted to be a one-club player. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that, but you go to the Sharks. How did you deal with that? And yeah, what was behind the move? Was it just an opportunity or were you not wanted? What happened behind that for, for Chris Hyington? Yeah, so all 201 games into my career, and I felt like Tigers would be lost, you know. Um, you know, I invested everything into it. Great group of mates, you know, and we're doing pretty well. And we had a few years there where we didn't make the semis, and 
you know, I was back into contract. Everyone was on all the money in the third year of their contract. And obviously, had, people had to move. Um, and I was obviously one of them. I was devoted at the time. I was going to admit that. I can't deny that. I got sort of moved that overnight. I moved to the Sharks. And, you know, I put my bag down at the Sharks. And, and you know, well, six weeks later, Asada hit the Sharks. And <laughs> we get the wooden spoon. And, you know, um, I what have I done here? This is the worst move of all time, you know. Um, and it took me a year, I reckon. And, you know, 2015 come around, we started building that 16. And, you know, it's just, that was my path I've, I've, I've taken. So, uh, and it, I wouldn't say I was green on the other side, but I did experience a lot more going to a different club um, and just staying. You know, I could have, if I had the opportunity to stay at the Tigers, I wouldn't have experienced, obviously, the Canola people, met new people, won another grand final type thing. So, um, yeah, it was really tough at the time. So I was um, sort of glad I did it. You played 317 games. You decided to go and pack up your bags again and go to Newcastle. Why did you feel like you wanted to play on or was it more a leadership role? How did you approach that move to Newcastle? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I still wanted to play. I still love the game. I still love going to training and playing the game. So, thought, why not, you know, and I, I grew up on the Central Coast near Newcastle, so I thought it was a good career opportunity for myself and all my young kids in Newcastle, and they still are there today, and uh, I enjoyed myself. I would have enjoyed to stay at the Sharks, but um, when I came to them, was to move a few old blokes one at a time, um, it was me, then Louis, now Gow, so it's sort of, you know, thinking one year, move one, instead of three going at the same year, so I, I can see that. You know, I wouldn't change that either. I, I met some lovely people there. Brown is a great coach. I learned heaps off him. And, um, you know, I got to play alongside the Caleb Bombers and, and the Mitchell Pierce so, and then create friendships with them. So, yeah, that was the reasoning. You know, I wouldn't like to stay in the chance, but you can't always do what you want to do and move on. Yeah, it's been great. And I like watching it play the Knights. You know, they've had a pretty rough season with the coach obviously going now. And um, But when they got them six games, seven games in a row, they looked really good and I, I thought if they could get near that again, they'd be a chance, but um, they away a little bit. Well, let's delve a little bit deeper into that situation with the Newcastle Knights. Obviously, Nathan Brown's walked away, but how have you seen the events unfold? Because the senior play group at the start of the week, obviously defending him, not defending him, but sort of having their say, they've copped a lot of criticism after their performance on the weekend. How have you seen that all unfold, having been in the inner sanctum there at Newcastle? Yeah, so I, to be honest, I haven't heard much of it on NRL or, or Fox or whatever. And, um, you know, and they're criticising Pierce here and Cameron. But, um, you know, it's a hard one. I'm sure, you know, off camera, they would be saying a lot more. But, um, you know, they've been pretty much crucified for not saying too much or sticking up for Brownie. But uh, they got to remember that the guy, he's like Brownie's moving on. And there's going to be a new guy coming in, so it's hard for him to have a say in the media. You know, I thought they got a bit hard. Is that how you've seen it, Hino? Sorry to cut you off. Is that how you've seen it, that the players are sort of a bit in the boat? Well, you know, if we come out and defend Nathan Brown and stand up for him, it sort of puts the pressure on the next coach that... You know, he's coming in with a preconceived idea that all these guys were, were Brownies guys and they didn't want him to go and they don't want him here. Is that Are they a bit ham, hamstrung by the fact that they need to be careful what they say? They probably didn't handle it right, but they've got to be mindful that there's still games to go and there's a new coach coming in in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. You've got, you've not, 
Yeah, that's correct. Like, I just thought they were in on the fence just to cover all situations, you know. But I, I know they're close to Brown. They like working as a pass like we all do. And um, it's unfortunate. I, I thought they could have handled it better. I thought they could have got to the end of the year and, and then made the decision. Because, to be honest, they can still make the eight. That's the thing. They don't need these distractions at the moment, you know. So... You know, they win the next two games, I think they might be a chance of being in the end. So, and I don't think that performance against the Tigers last week would have happened if Brownie wasn't, like, leaving at the end of the year. You know, they, I just felt like, as a club, they could have stayed solid for two more weeks or going into the finals, then made that decision um, instead of making it public and obviously building a hell of a lot of pressure through the whole playing group. What kind of a coach is Nathan Brown now? I had him at the Dragons 07 08, and he obviously had the disappointment of 05 06 when you won the competition. They had the probably one of the best teams, if not the best team in the comp. Uh, he went away to England, he comes back, and you felt like he matured a lot in terms of his approach and handling, you know, being a man manager, because it seems like he, he matured a hell of a lot coming back, being able to deal with different personalities as such. Yeah, for sure. He had some big decisions. Some players he had to get rid of, salary cap issues. I was doing kind of brilliant job. Look at the squad they've got, you know, today. Um, they're, they're in good stead going going into next season or, you know, maybe even a semi final this year. Um, I, I thought he was well, pretty unlucky to get moved on, you know. Um, he's cleaned up that, that playing roster and, you know, they're, they're well, the guy who comes in and coaches that team is going to be he's very blessed because. He's got a really good squad, what Brownie put together for him. So, yeah, I like the way he coaches. He's attacking, he's smart, he's innovating. And, you know, he's, I think I read a quote that, you know, he's made Caleb Palmer the player he is today. So, regards to his little, you know, year or two stint with Brownie. So, he's a smart coach and um, he comes up with some good game plans and, and I love playing under him. What have you made of the comments this week? It's the last question on Newcastle, but what have you made of the comments? around Mitchell Pearce's captaincy uh, on-field and off-field. You've, you've obviously played alongside him. I played Origin with him, and he was still maturing into that leadership role. But what have you made of the questions about whether he should be a captain of a club or not? No, he's a captain. He's definitely a captain. He's a captain of Newcastle. I don't love playing under him. I thought he did a great job. He's passionate. He leads from the front. Yeah, he's had a few influence, but, man, he's amazing. He... he he loves footy that much. He's in there doing review. He's, he's training the hardest out of everyone. You know, he's um, he's new to being a captain, and you know he might have learned a few things over the last few weeks. Or, but you can't keep everyone happy, mate. You can't keep all the media happy yeah. as the captain. As long as you're, you've got your playing group going and your, your coach is happy with you, that's doing your job, I reckon. You know, um, as a captain, I know you get more responsibilities, and but I, I um, just feel they're they're just getting in attacking him a little bit, but um, yeah, I can only talk for being a player under him and he, and he did an awesome job while I was there last year. How has Chris Hyington adapted to retirement? Because uh, you're working for ABC Grandstand. I've heard your commentary on the games there and enjoyed it. What else are you doing to fill your time during the week? Yeah, I've got, um, yeah I'm enjoying not playing anymore. I've got like, uh, Chris Hyington's sports performance, like a sports performance business. Um, so I train young athletes. I've got a heap of surfers who are going well and um, they keep me busy, and you know I've got that ABC Grandstand Footy Clinic, so they're yeah, pretty busy at the moment. But yeah, we're doing it. Um, 
Now thinking back, I should have retired a few more years. <laughs> what was the hardest thing out of retirement? I found the lack of structure to your day because for so long you're told what to do, where to be, what to eat, where, what to wear. All of a sudden you're having to do all that yourself and, and make sure that you're, you're fully prepared for the week. Yeah, for sure. You know, you get sent a schedule with what colour shirt you got to wear, you know, <laughs> gym, and you just got it given to you. So coming up with a plan or a schedule for what your week looks like, um, definitely something I had to work on back into my career. Um, and probably winning, the, the feeling, you know, that winning feeling. Yeah. You know, being in the shed after a good win, good performance. I miss that a little bit, but, um, you know, I'll get that when I see me athletes going well. I get a little bit of that as well. So, um, yeah, not, nothing, don't miss too much of it. Probably just been around a good, good bunch of blokes. But, um, yeah, no, enjoying retirement. We'll finish with uh, some little questions here. What was your first car? <laughs> My, I, um, it was like a Commodore, like a green little Commodore thing. Um, yeah, my dad bought it for me. I remember when I signed for the West Tigers in 2003. Um, I'll drive that up the train and I'd all laugh at me because there's all things and stuff in the bonnet. So, <laughs> so you paid a thousand dollars for it, and, and that was what carried you through. Did you have it when you won the grand final? Uh, I think I did, but I moved into the city by then in the training, so I would just walk the training, so they would never see it. <laughs> uh, what was the best game that you played yourself, where you came off and you thought, "I'm probably the best back row in the world." I don't think I've had one of them. Oh, you would have, mate. Um, Come on. <laughs> no, nah, I don't know. I don't think I've ever had one. Oh, I scored a few tries against the Bulldogs. But we beat, I think I got a hat-trick, but we beat them by 50. So um, it was all attacking. So I scored three tries. So that was probably have to do it. <laughs> what about your worst game? I have no problem bringing up my worst games, mate. Mate, I've had plenty of them. I've been, uh, missing a few tackles in a row. And then knocking on a cheesy brought me on. Yeah. And he goes, mate, you're not going to back on today. She's going over the show. So I'll have to say that for you all game. I'll finish with this one, Hino. Who's, you've played with so many great players, and I know it's tough to split hairs, but who's the best player you've ever played with? Oh, that's a hard one because I'd have to throw Brett Hodgson in the mix because he's tough as well. I know he's probably not the best player, but. Someone would kick it down field, he'd catch it, and the beatings he got was amazing. He just popped back up. Um, he would have to be one of them. And there's Benji, you know, back in his day when, like, when he was younger, he was electric. He was probably the most toughest guy with Fred Holston. No worries. All right, thanks very much, Chris Hyington, for your time. We appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Sarah. Cheers, thanks, mate. mate. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Power Hour with Sow Don't forget to jump on, rate, review and subscribe. We'll see you next week.